but reminded me of when I went to high school in Bozeman, Montana. If I turned in a term paper and it was half complete, my teacher tossed it back to me and said, you didn't get it done, it's incomplete. Probably give me an F and say it's incomplete, try again. Have you ever felt a visceral attraction to a politician? There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. I am your voice. Ask yourself if they're really telling the truth. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. This is Subliminally Correct, a podcast where we examine all the ways politicians and newsmakers are using psychological tactics to influence you every single day. And now, join myself, Taylor Sherman, certified hypnosis instructor and executive coach, along with my co-host, Alex Dobranek, political consultant and certified consulting hypnotist, on this episode of Subliminally Correct. And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. What's up for today, Alex? Well, this episode, we're headed back to Trump's impeachment trial in the U.S. Senate. But this time, we're stepping outside of the Senate chamber to analyze a Republican press conference they held in between speakers. Now, we're also going to hear from some regular voters who called in the C-SPAN to voice their thoughts on the proceedings. And let me tell you, it might be a bit surprising what they say and how they describe their thoughts. But before we get to that clip, remember to visit our website, sublimallycorrect.com, where you can find a link to our Patreon page. You can contribute and become a friend of the show and help keep all this great content coming your way. And now, let's take a listen to the first clip from Lindsey Graham and the Republican press conference. We'll leave this portion of yesterday's Senate impeachment trial to go live to Capitol Hill to hear from Senate Republicans holding a news briefing ahead of the trial. A lot of Americans have long days. Uh, A couple things. I've been involved in two impeachment trials. This is the second one. Uh, I just want to make an observation here. What the House managers were proposing yesterday is basically to destroy the institution of the presidency as we know it. Make it naked when it comes to partisan impeachment not have a venue to go to court and litigate privileges that have been exercised by prior presidents. When it comes to Donald Trump, they're willing to destroy the institution of the office in the name of getting him. So, bottom line, the Clinton impeachment was conducted by outside counsel. There's none here. Ken Starr spent five years investigating the president before we took up the matter Uh, in the House, the President was allowed to cross-examine Ken Starr at the uh, House Judiciary Committee. He recommended 11 grounds for impeachment, and President Clinton utilized the courts extensively on his behalf. Robert Mueller was an outside counsel appointed to investigate this President. I want the public to know that this president cooperated with Mr. Mueller. He turned over a million documents. His lawyer testified for 30 hours. And after two years of investigation with 19 lawyers, 40 FBI agents, 2,000 subpoenas, and 500 search warrants, they decided to take no action. They said there was no collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government 
And when it came to obstruction of justice, they did not recommend any action. I thought that would be the end of it. I actually introduced legislation to say that Robert Mueller could not be removed except for cause. Because the president felt like the Mueller investigation was a witch hunt. I did not. Yesterday was about 11 hours of them telling us how bad their case was in my view. They did not pursue these witnesses because they knew the president would seek judicial redress and it literally would stop them impeaching him before the election. So the only thing I can tell the American people, when it comes to replacing this president nine months plus from the election, you got an uphill battle with me because I really do believe that the best person, group of people to pick a president are the voters, not a bunch of partisan politicians. And every day we're here doing this is a day we're taken away from doing things that really matter. So when they say it was like Clinton, no. When they say the courts really have no place in impeachment, that's all going to be done by the House and the Senate without any independent ju judicial review. God help us all. Wow. And Lindsey Graham is really great here at manufacturing some outrage over everything. What he does here is he comes out and sort of makes it personal. You know, if you're going to, you know, pick on a president here, you're going to pick a fight with me. And, you know, he talks about how, you know, the the house managers here are, you know, dealing with all these secret tactics to really undermine the election and the presidency. And he sort of weaves this web of this alternative narrative where everybody's just out to get Donald Trump and everybody's just trying to get him because they hated him from the beginning. So he's able to play with this process here that, you know, he chalks up to being, you know, totally fraught with with bad intentions from the Democrats. He even says, you know, I just want to make an observation here. What the House managers were proposing yesterday is basically to destroy the institution of the presidency as we know it. You know, he's effectively saying that by trying to make this a, a, a partisan attack, by having all these bad underlying intentions, that that is what is actually going to destroy the institution of the presidency um, somehow. Maybe it's more corrosive to Congress if we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt here. But, um, you know, to think that a president is going to be terrified that he's going to be, you know, uh, impeached every day of his presidency, I think is a little far fetched. But that's sort of what uh, Lindsey Graham here is trying to get you on the slippery slope to. Yeah, and he starts to talk about the Mueller report. And he makes the case that because the Mueller report is done, that the impeachment should also be done, except that's a completely you know different issue. Um, so he says, you know, I want the public to know that this president cooperated with Mr. Mueller. He turned over a million documents. His lawyer testified for 30 hours and after two years of investigation with 19 lawyers, 40 FBI agents, 2,000 subpoenas, and 500 search warrants, they decided to take no action. They said there was no collusion between the Trump campaign. Now, I want to draw your attention to this moment here, this little clip that Lindsey Graham has talked about, because 
this thing that he's doing now by stacking the numbers, stacking the statistics, is a big persuasion tactic. And we've talked about it before in the podcast, but I really would just want to highlight it right now. So he's using this numbers equals credibility tactic. And if you go back in some of our previous episodes, so in episode number 30, we heard this from Sarah Sanders. She was on CNN, I believe, and she was talking about the Mueller report. And this is a quote from Sarah Sanders. She says, after two years, after 2,800 subpoenas, 500 witnesses, millions of pages and documents, and $25 million wasted of taxpayer money, that still isn't enough for Democrats. Okay, notice any similarities there? And then we hear, we heard again uh, more recently in episode 47, if you'll look, listen back to that one, um, we actually had right at the beginning of the episode, we um, had a clip there of Jim Jordan doing his tongue twister, and he had given this, you know, big thing about, you know, uh, Ambassador Taylor talks to this person, talks to that person. And then he said, we've got six people having four conversations in one sentence. And you just told me this is where you got your clear understanding. So notice how when Lindsey Graham here is using all of these numbers, he's using it to create credibility. The same thing with Sarah Sanders was doing, and Jim Jordan was doing the same thing, but with a little bit more confusion. So it can create credibility, but also confusion, so that whatever the person says next goes in a little bit more fully. So statistics ground an argument in reality, and they create credibility by showing that you've done your homework, that you are supposedly anyway knowledgeable. So they tend to have a greater than average emotional impact. And they also stick in the minds of listeners long after they've heard it, you know, if they're well-placed. So some of the ways that people can use that as a persuasive device is by speaking slower than the normal rate, by pausing before and then after a statistic, and then using facial expressions and their voice tone to imply that the statistics are more meaningful as ways to increase that persuasion factor. So whenever you hear people using numbers in a row like that, a little flag should go up in your mind to say, is what they're saying really that credible as it sounds? Or are they just taking a bunch of random factoids and putting them together as a way of seeming more credible? So in this next clip, we're going to hear from Steve Danes of Montana, and he's going to have a lot more outrage to go as well. We had a lot of time last night to think some 12 hours on the floor of the U.S. Senate. It's the first impeachment trial I've been through. Senator Graham has uh, experienced that in his, in his prior political life. But reminded me of when I went to high school in Bozeman, Montana, if I turned in a term paper and it was half complete, my teacher tossed it back to me and said, you didn't get it done, it's incomplete. Probably give me an F and say it's incomplete, try again. That's what I felt like we saw last night. It was an incomplete case. They have not done their complete homework. It reminded me what Nancy Pelosi said back in 2010 on the Obamacare. She said, first we gotta pass it to find out what's in it. It feels like what happened last night. They had to rush this through the House, just get it over to the Senate, and then we'll find out what's really in it and try to fix it there. Let me remind you and remind all of us that in 244 years of history of this great country, the United States Senate has never removed a president from office. Never. 
You look at the two impeachment trials for presidents that we have had in the Senate over the course of our history. President Johnson in 1868, of course, President Clinton in 1999. What's unique about this impeachment trial versus the other two? The other two both had crimes alleged in the impeachment articles. President Trump's does not. The other two impeachment trials had bipartisan support coming out of the House. President Trump's impeachment coming out of the House did not. First time we've ever seen that. There weren't many things that I agreed with with uh, what uh, Chairman Nadler said last night. But he did say something that I hope everybody heard that actually went back to the Clinton days. Was it, and I will paraphrase it, kind of God help us if we ever move to an impeachment on a purely partisan basis. Nadler's words back then were wise, and I hope he would heed them today because this is the most partisan impeachment process ever seen in the history of this great country. No crimes alleged in the Trump impeachment articles, not bipartisan, and a very important and final point is that if you look at what the Democrats are asking the United States Senate to do, it is to remove President Trump from office and to bar him from ever holding office again. What's also unique about this trial versus President Clinton, this is done in an election year. This really begs a fundamental question as well, is should the United States Senate decide the 2020 election and, and overturn the 2016 election by removing this president from office? I put the trust in the voters of this country. They should have that say, not the United States Senate. All right. So here, Steve Daines talks us and brings us back to his time at high school. You know, we had a lot of, lot of time last night to think. <laughs> Some 12 hours on the floor of the U.S. Senate. And it reminded me when. And so whenever someone uses these phrases, like it reminded me when, you know, they're going off into a story. It reminded me back to the time where I was a young lad and I was going to high school in Bozeman, Montana. If I had turned in a term paper that was incomplete, my teacher would give me an F and say, try again. That's what I felt like we saw last night. They had not done their homework. So this is Danes's high school responsibility speech, reminding us of what it means to work hard and turn in complete work. And, you know, as he goes back into this, you, know, you have to ask yourself, okay, where does he relate this, you know, to the idea that Democrats haven't done some work or they haven't made a complete argument? Um, if you actually listen to what the Democrats have said here, it's, it's pretty complete. You can argue with the accuracy of it, or you can say, are they actually leading to the correct conclusions? But it's certainly not comparable to when Danes here uh, forgot to turn in his homework. You know, so that's that's, you know, what I think that you have to you know focus on here. But here what we notice here is he goes into this kind of personable story. So he goes into a story that brings you back to his high school years. And so you feel like, OK, here's a real person. And then he goes into these specifics that really sell that story. They make it more credible. They make it feel like he's actually saying something complete or correct. 
And yet, these are just random random specifics that actually anyone could have, but it goes into another device called shared common experiences. So when you are creating a pacing statement, which is a statement where we are stating what is true for another person in their current way of viewing the world, that's a pacing statement. So when he says, you know, we had 12 hours on the floor of the Senate, people go, oh yeah, that's true. So that's a pacing statement. When he brings us back here to his high school life, it's kind of a shared experience to some degree. I mean, I don't know that everyone had the same experience as him, but, you know, we kind of go back and we go, oh, I remember what it was like to be in high school. And so he brings it and makes it more personable and matches our reality so that wherever it is that he's going to lead us to next is going to be more accepted. And so he talks about how it reminded him of high school. It also reminded him of what Nancy Pelosi said back in 2010 on Obamacare. And this is where he's making that bridge. Now, I don't know how many people really stick with him, you know, from point A to point B, from his high school experience to mapping it over to now what Pelosi is saying. Um, But I think that perhaps people who are inclined to be more sympathetic of, of his cause already will probably be more inclined to believe Oh, yeah, like this is just a continuation of what he's already said. So it's really interesting here how he starts off just by, you know, linking those two ideas together. Yeah, Steve Daines really does a great job here of doing that that down-to-home, back-farmhouse sort of talk. And, you know, going back to his high school time in Bozeman, Montana. Um, Just like Taylor said, that's a great way for him to slip you into storytelling without even noticing And, you know, the next thing you know, you're remembering the time where you forgot your term paper. But what's happening here is that he's using this to start to distort the facts as well. Uh, Because we remember, think back, the Democrats in the House ran their investigation, pulled up all these facts, and then voted to impeach President Trump. Then more information came out. And at that point... Trump was already impeached. And now at the trial for President Trump, this is when they're asking for more witnesses. So it's not as though the Democrats forgot or turned in a term paper that was incomplete. The thing that happened here is that more things happen that need to be discussed. And the Republicans are refusing to discuss it. And it's almost as if They're getting to this idea of a technicality where, oh, you know, the signature is not on the line. Looks like President Trump can't be impeached. They're trying to find all of the dotted I's and cross T's, anything that that the Democrats could have forgotten or missed or that they could even just use rhetoric to make it seem like the Democrats didn't follow the process right. And for all of those reasons, President Trump should be acquitted. And so it's really interesting what they do here. There's a lot of other speakers. If you listen to the entire trial, you can hear the president's lawyers and the Republicans say this over and over and over again, you know, that the Democrats just didn't finish the job that they were given in the House. And so this is all moot anyway, and nothing else should be discussed. So in our final clip here, we're going to be listening to some listener calls or viewer calls, people who are watching the trial on C-SPAN and all of these press conferences. 
And I think you're going to be really surprised by this. So we have a listener from the Democrats line, Debbie. We've got Laura from the Republican line. We've got a couple of listener letters that he's going to read very quickly. And then we're going to get to Evan from the Independent line. Now listen to see if you can hear a common trend among all of these viewers who are calling in. Again, live coverage when they resume. We'll continue with some phone calls as we are able. And we go to Debbie, Democrats line in Owenton, Kentucky, waiting for the Senate to return. Hi, Debbie. Yes, hi. I am against this impeachment of President Trump. He's a businessman. He's not a politician. But he made a list of promises. He did every one of them and went beyond. Obama gave money to the enemy to use against us. And Hillary Clinton sold 10% uranium to the Russians. This man has done nothing that is impeachable. All right, to Laura on our Republican line in New Berlin, Wisconsin. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Um, I actually agree with uh, what the previous caller said, but I'm kind of disappointed um, in the House, how they handled that proceeding. I just don't think that you may not like everything that President Trump says, but the man has rights. He's the president of the United States. He should have been offered um, to have his lawyer present during the House proceedings, and now we're at this mess here. I listened to it all last night, and I just can't believe the lie after lie after lie that he's guilty before he's proven innocent. I think it's wrong. Yesterday's session went some 13 hours. This is the first of 24 hours for the House managers to make their case. They've used two hours and 20 minutes of that time. And again, the president's attorneys, the defense, will have an equal amount of time, uh, 24 hours, over the course of three days. They don't have to use all of it, but they do have the, uh, the full 24 hours. To Glastonbury, Connecticut, we hear from Evan, independent line. Hi, um, I'm, I'm, I'm totally disappointed I, I, with the, the Democrats. I used to be a Democrat, and I tend to walk away and became an independent because of the stuff that this. That, that, that shit guy, since, since the start of all this, the Russian, the collusion, I've been following it since the beginning, since Trump came down the, uh, the, 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 the stairwell. And basically, this guy is, I hear him talk, and I just, my stomach turns. I have to turn the channel. Um, I hear Pelosi talk, my stomach turns, I have to hear the channel. Such, such corruption, I feel, in, the, in, that, in that party, in the House, and I really hope people vote these, these, these Democrats out of the House and so we can get back to business. If you want to send us a text, it's 202-748-8003. This is from Mandy from Texas. If Republicans are so sure President is innocent and Democrats have no case, then why are they not letting them submit their documents or having witnesses? The witnesses they want in the trial of the ones Trump stopped from testifying. Brandon in Texas has really sad to see how many Americans are either too partisan or not intelligent enough to figure out why this is so problematic and has to happen. We go from uh, go to Nita from Wiggins, Mississippi. Mr. Trump uh, was given wasn't given the rights that every American gets when charged with any crime. Schiff, Pelosi, Schumer are full of hate for freedom and Trump's constitutional rights. In Blaine, Washington, we go to our Democrats line next. This is uh, this is Cheryl. Go ahead. Thank you for taking my call. Um, this is why most people think Washington's broken. Senators and congressmen are elected to represent the people, not the party. And 
Mr. Trump has been the most um, unconventional president we've ever had. He's thrown uh, attacks on Twitter on people. He had the Russians in the Oval Office after, you know, saying he fired Comey. There's, he's just not a presidential person. He is a businessman. He is not a president or a presidential. All right. And now he's cut off there, so he can't really continue uh, questioning Cheryl. But what we hear here is both Debbie from the Democrat line and Laura from the Republican line and even Evan from the Independent line are against this whole proceeding. It's almost as if they have a very coordinated response (laughs) and all saying that they are totally disappointed. Disappointed comes up a lot, which is really interesting to hear what, you know, what they're saying, what people are parroting back. And, you know, whenever I was on a campaign anywhere, the first sign that, you know, the other side's ads were getting through to regular voters was when people started repeating those talking points back to you over the phone. That's how you knew that their uh, their ad was being effective. And so that's sort of what we're hearing here. People calling in with the exact same message um, or saying the same sorts of talking points that the Republicans have been parroting and saying over and over and over again on social media and Fox News and, you know, even in the Senate trial here. We've got a lot to break down here in what these what these voters called in and said. Yeah, and. Hearing this, I am not convinced that all of this is necessarily truthful. I mean, I think it's entirely plausible that someone just paid someone and, you know, put them all in an auto dialer and somehow got into the into the system there. It it's it's just a little bit, you know, everyone from all three lines, you know, the Democrat <laughs> line, the Republican line and the like you can expect it from the Republican and the independent line. But the first clip we heard was from the Democrat line, and it's, you know, this woman is not talking like a typical Democrat would at all. So it's interesting when you hear these perspectives, these perspectives from people who are supposedly outside of the political process. You know, it reminds me of the episode that we did. It was actually our fourth episode on the NPR uh, coverage of the Pennsylvania special election, where they sat down around a table and interviewed likely voters in that election and they had them be from different um, parties different leanings and then you heard how they described it a little bit differently so you may wish to go back and take a listen to that one for some of the persuasive devices that were um, happening there again that was Connor Lamb versus uh, Rick Saccone and you know just get the idea of how all of this works but it is fascinating about how just about everyone that they talk to seem to be against this. And, um, you know, sometimes on a phone bank, that's what you get. But the way in which this happened seemed a little bit uh, coerced to me. So that's what I got. Yeah. And so to break down some of what people said right here, what we've got is, you know, some really uh, strong, strong feelings coming out of this. So I want to bring your attention to Evan from the independent line. You know, he talks about how, you know, I'm totally disappointed with Democrats. I used to be a Democrat and I kind of walked away and became an independent. And then we hear him talk about how he's been following this since the beginning, 
since Trump came down the stairwell. It's just interesting how he's using how the language here that he walked away and has been following this since Trump came down the stairwell. And now he uses very kinesthetic, you know, uh, uh, language here where he's talking about how, you know, he hears Schiff talk and my stomach turns. I have to turn the channel. I hear Pelosi talk. My stomach turns. I have to turn the channel. And he uses that sort of repetition there to, you know, perhaps it's just a, a speaking device that he's trying to be more persuasive. But maybe this is actually what's going on in his head right here is that he's describing a physical reaction that he's getting from something that's not physical. And, you know, really what that gets to is, you know, he's he he has built within his mind a trigger there that causes himself this physical situation, this pain, this discomfort. And then it leads to him, what, turning the channel to something that might be a little bit more desirable and might be a little bit more appealing to him so that now he might be watching Fox News or another news station that might be telling him things that are more palatable and won't make his stomach turn. And so that's really what what Evan is saying right here. Yeah, um, what you know, as Alex breaking this down, it's totally true because what Evan is talking about is that he has basically a a trigger that you might associate with someone having some sort of traumatic response or some sort of fear. So he's describing that as she as he hears something. This is um, a. A response. It's an automatic response that happens simultaneously. He's hearing something automatically, then his stomach begins to turn. Now, the functional effect of that is that he doesn't have time to actually listen to the message that the person is saying. So he hears the person talk. He His stomach turns. He doesn't listen to the rest of it. And because he doesn't listen to the rest of it, he never has an opportunity to change his mind about the preconception or belief that he's already built up inside about that. Um, does that make him truly an independent? Well, there's not too much that's independent about that, okay? Um, but we heard the same thing. Um, I actually found the quote here when I'm referencing this NPR special election. It was from a nurse, and her name was Rosie Bigley, and she was talking about getting some new blood into government, someone who's willing to work across the aisle. And then the person from NPR said, I'd like to know what your views are of the president. And Bigley said, and I'm quoting here, my views are every time I see Donald Trump or he opens his mouth, I clinch. It floors me, his lack of empathy, end quote. So notice the similarities between this. Now, of course, we're talking here about, you know, different people that that's associated to. Um, but the principle is the same, right? When you are hearing someone and then it's all of a sudden being associated in that way, you know? So what that, what happens then is that people shut off their ability to think critically or really to have an open mind about the thing that they're, you know, listening to at that moment in time. And then, you know, the other repeated theme here through the multiple people that we heard here through the phone calls is this idea of, He's just not a presidential person. He's a businessman. He's not a politician. He's a businessman. And I just wanted to say that um, I think this whole idea that Donald Trump is not a politician is absolutely ridiculous. 
You know, it's really silly to think that he isn't, he hasn't been doing political stuff even when he was in business. A lot of what he was doing was political. It's just that now he has made it into actual politics of the country. He shifted his focus a little bit. So he's definitely been doing that for quite some time. All right. I think that's all the time we've got for today. Head on over to our website. Go to subliminallycorrect.com. In the top right corner, you can find our Patreon page. And head on over there. You can donate and join the pod as a friend of the show. And, you know, it's just a little bit, but it really helps out keeping this great content coming to you week after week. And if you have feedback or other things that you want to talk to us about, head on over to Twitter at SubliminalPod. That's where you can tweet us and send your feedback, your questions, your comments. You can also do that through our website. And don't forget to go to iTunes and rate and review us. Five stars for all of these great shows. And we will talk to you next week. <laughs>